Welcome to the My Rules Are Better podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today I have the pleasure of talking with... Now, what am I allowed to call you in the podcast? Can I refer to you as Nurgling? Can I refer to you as your government name? Nurgling is fine, absolutely. Okay, let's call you Nurgling. I will avoid calling you Alex going forward. I wanted to start with a slightly spicy political question, because obviously the times are changing. What is your view with regards to Warhammer the Old World? (laughs) Yeah, that is a bit spicy, isn't it? (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what. I think it's great for the old crowd mm-hmm. because it's bringing a lot of people uh, to Old Hammer, or, or it's bringing a lot of people to Old Hammer, and especially now that we've got Age of Sigmar and 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 what have you, I, I think that it's uh, going to be something that's really going to benefit the the Old Hammer community. A lot of fresh blood uh, for for the uh, for the hobby. However, that being said there's going to be quite a lot more competition for older models. So Mm. I would envisage probably um, a a bit of a price spike in... Do you think that's um, already started? Because I'm I'm shocked by the cost of models these days. I mean, they're really... It appears something has happened in the past six months, and I'm certainly blaming Warhammer. But something has (laughs) happened in the past six months, right? It's now just absolutely... Well, maybe it's just the US. Maybe I'm in a little bubble, and those of you that are closer to Nottingham might get better access to better miniatures. But have you seen something happen in the past six months too? Um, maybe not the last six months. I mean, I've been in the hobby for about 30 years now. Certainly. And, um, I've seen I've seen prices just steadily go up over time. Um, certainly access to older models is getting harder, especially the, the, the sort of the classic Citadel miniatures. Um, and that's probably why I'm such a strong proponent of proxy models and Certainly. alternative manufacturers Certainly. Um, who are still making models in pewter or white metal or and, and some some even in lead mm. um, and and that's the part of the hobby that i really enjoy is finding something different and unique and not necessarily passing it off as citadel but using it alongside citadel without question without question so what is the origin story let's let's take it back prior to nurgling what's your origin story in terms of Warhammer in terms of wargaming, where did you start? Oh, crikey. Um, so I was eight years old, uh, and it was my birthday. My uh, my uncle Martin uh, bought me the uh, the fantastic game Battle Masters, Ooh. and uh, it was absolutely amazing. I, I absolutely was blown away by the miniatures, the, the setup, the little bits of scenery, uh, all the little cards that you got and everything, and it was something that I'd never considered Mm-hmm. collecting or, or playing before but i absolutely fell in love with it it was it was really something else and from there i then sort of um got into not necessarily games workshop specifically but i discovered hero quest and space Certainly. crusade and and the, the likes in you know local charity stores um and that is another part of the hobby that i, I feel is probably has probably died a death now i think that a lot of the charity stores are either um wise to the ways of uh, the internet and they put things online for a lot more than perhaps they would have gone for in the past uh, or there's you know a group of people going around just snapping up all of the all the miniatures and the uh, the, the rule books and what have you and, and selling them on for for a profit either way it's certainly a, a part of the hobby that I find that uh, we've lost which is a bit of a shame certainly certainly I mean, in my adult life, I've only had one experience finding a hobby store in a coastal town here in the US, going inside and realizing, hold up, no one like me has actually been here before. 
<laughs> so that experience, I think, even in my adult life, I've never really had because everywhere I've lived has always been populated by people that are still interested in the same stuff. But in terms of Warhammer specifically, how did you get interested in, well, let's talk about Realm of Chaos. Let's talk about these books mm. that basically yeah, are obviously so, part of your origin too. Can we talk a little bit absolutely. about that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in my opinion, and probably quite a few others, um, Realm of Chaos is without a doubt the pinnacle of sort of Games Workshop's creativity. Certainly. Um, it's something that hasn't really been um, replicated over the years. Yes. Um, and and I've, I've talked to people like Tony Ackland and, and John Blanche about this, uh, uh, Bring Out Your Lead, in that these books, they didn't necessarily have sort of an overarching aim. They were almost a conglomeration of, you know, half a dozen or a dozen people. Certainly. It was creativity and output over the course of many months. Um, and I think because of that sort of almost chaotic nature of the <laughs> The design and, and the creation of the books, Certainly. it almost comes through in the actual material itself, which I think is fascinating. Without question. I mean, the line art alone, I show it to non-gaming people just to as a way of explaining to them. I mean, there are half a dozen books like that in a kind of broader context, some of the old TSRs and things like this, just with regards to the quality of the art. But it is, as you say, I mean, I spent a little bit of time at Jackson Livingston really to try and get some insight of how they built the company that made the Realm of Chaos books, because I think it is a period of creative freedom, which I don't think Games Workshop has ever had again. It's really interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Do you think it could be partly the political freedom as well as the creative freedom? Oh, I think um, it's all intertwined. It, yeah, it's all intertwined. Um, so per- perhaps it's a, it was a symptom of the, the time. Uh, and perhaps because we didn't have something as accessible as the internet, um, these people gathered together and created something that, you know, didn't didn't necessarily have to be uh, uh, put past a um, a committee yes. or a, a group, you know, group think um, bias or anything like that. It, it was something that they came up with and just sort of ran with, I think. Yes. I mean, the grotesque nature of some of the artwork, I certainly found this with Jackson Livingston through the discussion of fighting fantasy, the majority of the images that they were able just to cultivate for the fighting fantasy books would probably never be allowed to be published today. They're just too gruesome (laughs) or, you know, they're, they're just outside the realm of thinking, which is one of the real joys I have with the realm of chaos books, that you get to see a part of the human imagination that you don't normally have access to with contemporary art and contemporary, you know, similar stuff just can't get quite as bizarre and grotesque as the Realm of Cast books are. I think there's a um, there's something to be said for that, especially with the um, uh, with the old Hammer artwork uh, YouTube mm. uh, uh, page or, or, or channel, uh, in which they've tried to sell off old uh, Warhammer art pieces from from various uh, artists. And they've they've created a huge um, a huge market for it. Actually, it's uh, really quite it's taking off. Um, I think that kind of thing, you know, orcs riding across a, a battlefield against demons or something, is something that the general public um, who are interested in art might not have seen um, anywhere else. Certainly, I mean, cer- certainly there's the the old um, illustrations of 
you know the Iliad and um, you know the the, the various um, levels of hell and that kind of thing. But these are, I think, there's something more visceral about the certainly the realm of chaos illustrations in that there's all kinds of parts of the anatomy in full show and you know various grotesque goings on, um, deformed you know demonic creatures and mm-hmm. and the like. So it's certainly something that mainstream artists um, probably would not <laughs> consider uh, as part of mainstream art. Certainly. I miss the origin story, though. How, how could you get your hands on Realm of Chaos? How did you get interested in Warhammer specifically? Well, so Warhammer specifically, I think I, I got my first edition of, of Warhammer probably back in the mid-90s. Mm. I, I don't recall which one came first, whether it was Warhammer 40,000 or, or Warhammer. Um, but I got both sort of around about the same time, maybe when I was about 10 or something like mm. that. Um, and I remember this old model shop called uh, South Sea Models uh, uh, down in, uh, near Portsmouth. And um, it had this great um, showcase or camp like glass cabinet right in in front of the door as you went in oh yes and then and this cabinet was absolutely chock full of fantastically painted little miniatures from the realms of chaos so they had all the all the demons and you know orcs and things and that that was what really uh, set the old imagination off for the realms of chaos and then i wouldn't actually get one of the realms of chaos books until probably ten years later, maybe Gosh. in the two thousands. Um, so you paid for they were it. Quite, they were quite hard. They were quite <laughs> hard to come by totally. at the time. Um, and without the internet in sort of the early nineties, you couldn't just happen across this in in forums or on Facebook or anything like they that. They were in White Dwarf, though. It, I mean, you did get an opportunity yes, to see them in White Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. But back then, I, you know, I didn't really have the money for um, rule books and things like that. It was just whatever i got given essentially interesting interesting so your origin story is about eight to ten years after my origin story but uh very very similar i think the painted figure pull power i'm not sure if you're familiar with the orcs nest in central london but the one of the managers in the orcs nest paints miniatures and puts it in the window just so there's always painted miniatures to kind of draw the attention of the outside, you know, passerby. And that's certainly something which Games Workshop has done historically as well. I think they realised probably from independent stores that putting miniatures in the window was the fastest way to get in foot traffic. So it is incredibly powerful. Can we talk a little bit about old lead? Because this is also a fixation that we both have. And I I have to commend you with regards to your deep dives into non-Citadel-based miniatures, which we did talk about initially. But can you talk a little bit about how important old lead is to you? Um, I, I think it's sort of um, a fundamental building block of my <laughs> sort of mental makeup. Mm. Um, it, I've, I've collected miniatures for so long, and it's always there if I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm busy or, 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 or doing something else or, or you know, away working or, or what have you, I can always come back to it. Certainly. And that that sort of stability or mental crutch or however you want to you phrase it i I guess um is is really quite important i think i I don't think enough people have something to latch on to something that they can sit down relax and do physically do not just sit in front of a, a screen and just scroll or or you know 
send pixels at each other or what have you, but something physical that you know gets the mind working and and the you know the body working as well. Um, I find really quite cathartic. And painting is a central part to your hobby as well, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, painting is sort of a, a almost a love hate relationship for me. I, I sometimes I, I can blitz through twenty miniatures in a, in a night, mm. um, and you know have twenty models done within the week. Um, other times I find it difficult to even touch a paintbrush. Um, whereas the, the one thing that I can I can regularly do without really getting bored of it is building sculpting um or just you know gluing miniatures together i find sort of just the sort of the i don't know i don't know the mechanical side of building miniatures really interesting um and the painting side probably more process driven mm-hmm. interesting interesting so in terms of your moniker let's talk about nurgle specifically i mean i have a not quite the same depth of fondness Nurgle that you obviously have, but I have some fondness with regards to Nurgle as a something that one encounters in various times of day-to-day life, particularly with young children. You you start to embrace the Nurgle in your life with young children, let me just say. But um, oh, in, yeah. in terms of Nurgle, how did you get interested specifically in Nurgle? Um, so I, I, I always like the aesthetic, the, mm-hmm. sort of the style, um, and it's sort of, it suits my painting style as well mm-hmm. in that I'm quite a loose, a fast and loose painter. I don't really um, hold much sway in doing anything particularly neatly. Um, I guess that's how I can get quite a lot done in a short space of time when I really put my mind to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably it was probably the Nurgle Renegades um, for 40K. Beautiful were miniatures. My first, Beautiful miniatures. Were my first actual Nurgle miniatures. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, I, I, I purchased the uh, the, the Death Guard, uh, the next iteration of them. Um, so the, the the lead Death Guard, and then um, I sort of branched out into demons. So I've actually got one of each of the one of each unique sculpt of the metal plague bearers. Oh yes, throughout the ages. Oh so yes, I used to have that too. <laughs> The three, yeah, the three separate iterations of the eleven sculpts. Um, plus, um, then I sort of got into unreleased miniatures. So I, I, I ended up getting the two unreleased plague bearers, the unreleased beast of Nurgle, and the uh, great and clean one as well. So I've Gosh. got quite a quite a fancy collection of um, Nurgle miniatures. We share an origin there as well, the Chaos Renegades in particular. You can't imagine what it's like being on the other end of the earth trying to get some film miniatures, but that was certainly my early experience. We pulled our money together, we went through the catalogue, and we all bought Chaos Renegades. And I think I probably still have one or two of those original Renegades somewhere in my uh, general collection. But yeah, the Chaos Renegades, it's hard to really describe to you know modern folk, folks that are currently putting together plastic miniatures, what it was like to actually see those Chaos Renegades for the first time. And then when you actually physically got them, I'm not sure if you started by seeing it just in a magazine or in a catalogue, but actually getting them and staring at them and the multidimensionality, just rotating them and looking at them was just something of, I don't know, I can't even express words around it. I think they're probably some of the nicest miniatures that they, that um, Games Workshop or, or Citadel have ever created. Certainly. Because when you... When you actually look at them, they're incredibly dynamic, mm. despite the fact they're 2D. Certainly. Um, they're all single um, 
single cast, um, arms, legs, heads, the works all together, and then simply a nice flat Chaos Renegade backpack stuck on the on on the rear, and it's really they're really quite something uh, to behold when you when you get a few of them together. Mm-hmm. And some of the um, some of the artists on the Old Hammer community uh, are coming across these miniatures in in their piles, and they are they are pushing out some incredible incredible artwork on these little fellas certainly certainly so in terms of an origin specifically with regards to nurgle how many years have you been a nurgle devotee oh um cranky 20 probably 20 plus of the 30 that i've been collecting um i to be honest with you i, I sort of I, I fell out of the hobby for a few years in mm-hmm. in in the middle um having gone traveling um for a couple of years um and when i came back I sort of did. I sort of revamped my collection into a more um, lead-based, uh, away from sort of plastics and, and what have you, um, and started really um, pushing the, the collectors' sort of mentality rather Certainly. than the the mass plastic regiments mentality. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would say probably yeah twenty years, maybe something like that. Interesting, interesting stuff. So let's get to the important, the, the meat and potatoes of the conversation. Mm. In addition to painting, you also write what is loosely called, and I don't want to use this in a necessarily a negative light, but fan fiction. You've set oh, up yeah. a Patreon, you're getting together. How do the Chaos Dwarves fit into your interests? Um, so, sort of loosely, I would say that I collect sort of every aspect of Chaos. Mm. Um, so I've got a, a tremendous uh, Chaos Dwarf army, uh, a huge uh, Chaos Demon army, which is pre- at the moment in painted terms is predominantly Corn and Nurgle. Mm-hmm. But I do have um, uh, various packs and um, piles of uh, Zinch and, and Slanesh. Um, I've also got uh, a collection of um, giants from various manufacturers. Very nice. Uh, a Beast Man army and um, a Chaos Warrior army and a Chaos. <laughs> and a Chaos Thug army. Mm. So really, um, the Chaos Dwarfs are probably my most complete army, mm-hmm. if that makes, if that kind of makes sense. I know it's not, people don't usually complete armies, but um, in sort of a, a, a collector's sense, I'm quite happy with what I've managed to create out of it. Um, and to that end, I wanted to create something that could, um, how, how you could say, document the the army and its styling in a way that pays homage to the old realms of chaos books. And that's where sort of the, the idea for my, my book masters of destruction has come from. So loosely speaking, it's um, a realm of chaos book that isn't a realm of chaos book. If you see what I mean, Um, we all know that games workshop are really, um, really hot on protecting their IP Mm -hmm. and, that's something that I don't really want any part of having to defend in court. Um, if I, if you know, if anything that I create ever becomes particularly um, popular, uh, so to that end, I've actually created my own, um, my own world uh, and my own history for the Chaos Dwarfs, or, or what I like to call them, the Dark Dwarfs, mm-hmm. and their uh, their their sort of the nemesis, because each of the Realms of Chaos books, there was a there was a army or a a pantheon versus an army and a pantheon so mm-hmm. it was um uh, nurgle and zinch and 
uh, corn and slanesh or corn and uh, zinch and uh, nurgle and slanesh. So, so I needed something to bounce off of the, the dark dwarfs. And in that respect, uh, I'm actually going to create a small uh, dark elf army, Ooh. or as, as, I, as I call them, the fallen or mm-hmm. fallen elves. Interesting. Um, so, and there's a whole story that goes behind why they're fallen and why they hate the, the dark dwarfs. So fascinating stuff. I mean, the history of Games Workshop is ultimately creating IP that is then potentially litigatable by the Tolkien family and various other folk. And it's one of the things that I missed out actually talking about with Jackson Livingston was how scared, you know, they really are. And I mean, obviously Age of Sigmar is, is a direct contribution to that idea because they had to change the names of all the races and wanted to move into intellectual property that they could actually own. So I think it's a, there's a strange kind of counter, (laughs) counter problem that Games Workshop has historically had, which they now are enacting on their fan community, which is quite a curious, um, very chaotic actually. (laughs) <laughs> in terms of its yeah. kind of origins. But anyway, let's talk a little bit more about, I mean, certainly I come to this thing in some regard in terms of the history of Tolkien. And really, I think the First World War did more to Tolkien than anything else. But the history of, I mean, the, the some of the Norse mythology, but really the quintessentially, I want to say the United Kingdom mythology, because it encompasses also Scotland, Wales and Ireland. Can you talk a little bit about your understanding of the kind of dwarf origins and how you've perturbed that in your writing? So I, I, I absolutely love Tolkien um, and quite a lot of the the ideas behind my armies go back to the sort of the mass battles of the Cimmerillion and that kind of mm-hmm. uh, that kind of ilk. Um, hence the the sort of the huge armies that I'm, I'm creating at the moment. I mean, for instance, my chaos dwarf army having painted about half of it has about 300 models in it Mm. (laughs) um and that once it when you when you take a photo of 300 models there's something incredibly epic about not only the fact that somebody sat there and painted 300 models (laughs) but also um the fact that i think quantity has a quality all of it its own um and that's something that i really enjoy and I like to bring in as many sort of fantasy tropes into my collecting as I can, not just Lord of the Rings or, or just Warhammer, um, but also Discworld and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's not just dwarfs from necessarily Warhammer that I would be necessarily ripping off of, mm. but a, a, a wide variety of different ideas and tropes. Only in the past week. I heard the story of Terry Pratchett getting involved with the Warhammer folk and the potential for Terry Pratchett actually writing for Warhammer fiction, which I thought was just the perfect, as you say, joining in some regard of these two things. But uh, had you ever heard that story before? I was not aware of that, but that sounds fascinating. Mm. (laughs) Um, I think that would be something really quite special. The fellow whose last name is, uh, maybe it's Jordan Sorcery, I think, did a discussion on that, so... We're going to talk about YouTube in a minute, but he, his YouTube channel, I periodically peruse for these kind of uh, nuggets of uh, interesting you know, perturbation in my own thinking. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about YouTube because you've mentioned it briefly, but the reason I know you is because you have an amazing YouTube channel that's covered a number of things which are very similar in my own thinking and interest. Nigel Stallman, without question, needs to be eulogized to a greater extent. 
But in terms of YouTube as a phenomena, can you talk a little bit about how you've taken your particular hobby and converted it to YouTube? Um, I think that YouTube is a great format to spread the word of the hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a medium, video and, uh, and audio is, is a lot more engaging than just pictures on Facebook forums or, or dedicated forums. Um, so in a way, it's actually it's a better way to get the message out there. Um, and in that regard, you can also um, you can also layer the amount of information that you're giving people. So you can show something on screen, and whilst you're whilst you're doing whatever you're doing on the screen, you can then talk to the people that are watching it and almost sort of um, give them an insight into why you're doing what you're doing, um, how you're doing it. There's a mentality behind it, and that's probably the thing that I enjoy the most about. Uh, creating youtube videos is you can get across a lot more information uh, than necessarily uh, just the just a a picture or uh, or an article on a blog necessarily could and you've been able to gather a number of like-minded folk who are subscribers to your channel could you talk a little bit about just the length of time how long have you been doing your channel for um i think i've been on youtube for about six or seven years um and really i'm i'm not actually on youtube to sort of um create a following if you see what i mean mm-hmm. it's just doing what i like to do um and if other people enjoy what i'm doing then that's that's an, an absolute bonus um I, one of my favorite things to to do on youtube is actually talk about the collecting side of the hobby Certainly. um diff- and going back to different manufacturers and and how they are still creating miniatures in the style of the old Citadel ranges, which is uh, one of my passions. Many with the same sculptors and things like that. I mean, it's absolutely yeah, yeah. Kev Adams that. is very prolific. Certainly, <laughs> um, yeah. He's uh, I've got quite a few of his uh, more recent sculpts, um, and th- there's loads of um, miniatures out there um, from you know Heartbreaker and War Games Foundry and and numerous others that are still in that old. Uh, that old style, which is, is is fantastic. Do you have a copy of his bio? Uh, sorry, sorry, say that again. Do you have a copy of the Kev Adams has recently published a biography with Wombat Publishing? I was wondering if you had that copy. Oh yes, uh, I've I've seen it, but I've not. I don't have a copy of it. I found it sadly disappointing. It's a bit like um, oh, really? a high school oh. kid writing about their misadventures, but not allowed, <laughs> not letting themselves say anything naughty. Although he does talk oh, about yeah. holding weapons and various other things associated with the punk movement. But my, I've always been like a single degree of separation away from Kev Adams. Um, yeah. I'm the longtime fan of psychedelic art and these kind of things. I mean, Kev Adams is psychedelia, uh, uberalis, basically. And <laughs> I've known people that have known him. They've worked with him at Games Workshop and various other things. And they've always told me these amazing Kev Adams psychedelic stories. And I was hoping in the book to actually get a series of these things written down. But unfortunately... They were playing possum with regards to this stuff. It's yeah. very straight-laced, unfortunately. And I have to just hold <laughs> the stories I've been told to my chest when I think of Kev Adams' work. You're hoping for some juicy anecdotes. Well, the nature <laughs> of people that have known him have been associated with, you know, six-day-long benders curled up on a couch, eventually kind of emerging <laughs> and this kind of stuff. I mean, he really did live in the world of the goblins. Like he actually, <laughs> and that I think personifies is, it. <laughs> yeah, that is the beauty of Kevin Adams work is that you're dealing with really strong psychedelic art with clearly a very strong kind of punchy element to it. 
And when I got it, I mean, it's difficult because I'm now friends with Mr. Wombat on Facebook too. And I've tried to tease him occasionally in the occasional Facebook comment. Um, I'm probably going to approach him at some stage and just say, Hey, look, it was a, it was a new, look, I've reread it with the view that, okay, you're dealing with a high school kid who's telling that he hasn't done anything naughty in the past 30 years of his life. And, you know, there are some interesting stories in there, but you're very much introduced to people that you already know about through a kind of, I don't know. The whole thing was just a bit disappointing, unfortunately. I'm, I hope, my hope is that the, there's, there are a series of books actually coming out currently. I mean, obviously Jackson Livingston started it with regards to the Dice Men, which is how I got to meet them. But there seem to be a series of books coming out currently about the origins war, picking a particular point in kind of Games Workshop's Adele miniature history and then getting a small number of people together. Have you ever corresponded with Alan Merritt? Or have you met Alan Merritt? Uh, I don't think I've met Alan Merritt, no. Alan Merritt is just like the salt of the earth kind of person. I started communicating with him. He thought I was a lawyer, which is always a good start. I don't know what you are professionally, but I'm not a lawyer. Um, and when I first started writing to him, he had the view that because I knew a lot about intellectual property rights, which I do just independently from a kind of day to day life, and also the history of lead rot, um, which obviously is a very real phenomenon. Should we talk about lead rot? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it forces you to paint the models, right? It certainly does. Yeah. Um, and actually, part of my sort of passion for collecting miniatures is preserving them as well. Certainly. Um, in uh, if you if you whack a, a load of paint on there and uh, and varnish it, then at least you're protecting um, what otherwise might um, you know melt away into nothing if you're if you're up particularly it just unlucky. Dust. Yeah, it just yeah. becomes dust. Yeah, I still have a few very lead rock miniatures which I just hold as. Identification. I'm never going to have them painted. They were already thoroughly rotten when I purchased them. Okay. I must purchase them just to <laughs> demonstrate what lead rot was. But yeah, it really is a phenomenon. A lot of these models, because they were made in pewter, they really do have a life expectancy unless you slap some paint on them. So I've got an old. Uh, I think it's a grenadier cloud giant mm. with the uh, with the rather um, craggy nose and the, the long gangly arms and legs. Certainly, and he was. Um, he was in a poor state of repair when I when I received him, and um, I, I, I cleaned him up and um, I actually soaked him in um, poly cement, mm-hmm. and uh, then I gave him a, a lick of paint and uh, a, a nice bath in uh, quick shade varnish, which is my my favourite um, my favourite var- like heavy duty polyurethane varnish um, to to protect everything. And uh, he's holding up quite nicely actually. Um, I've had him painted for probably about ten years now, and uh, he's not showing any uh, signs of disrepair yet. So very good, yeah, very good. Fingers crossed. That's uh, that's done the job. So I don't know how we got down this rat hole, but it's just the nature of talking with me on a Sunday, a Saturday morning, rather. So let's explore a little bit more about the non Citadel miniatures in your collection and how you actually go about. I mean, do you have a, do you spend a lot of time on the internet perusing forums and stuff, finding the origins of these things and then sourcing them accordingly, or how do you find your miniatures? Well, there's some there's some great resources out there. I mean, North Star Figures, for instance. Oh yes, um, they they've got just dozens and dozens of manufacturers in a list, and you can just you can just scroll through. It's 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 great fun. Um, but really, I, I mean, Facebook is your friend if you if you're into old miniatures or or getting something that you know could proxy as something else. Um, the old Hammer community—it's certainly not just Citadel. It, there's people on there that collect Grenadier, um, you know, Merleton, and all kinds of different uh, old manufacturers that 
some of which are still going. Yes. And um, you, you you come across something in a post, and you think, oh, blimey, where, where have I seen that before? Was that Viking Forge or was that, you know, <laughs> you know, so, you know, Mears or, or something else? And uh, you, you can simply ask the question, and, and that's really just hours and hours of of looking at other people's fantastic miniatures. Did you ever get into self-casting, Prince August? And I actually got a few sculptors to make me some moulds at some stage in my collecting history, probably more than 20 years ago now. Have you ever self-cast? Yeah, so um, I haven't actually self-casted. However, I have um, created a a giant chaos battering ram that um, uh, one of my friends, uh, Curtis from Ramshackle Games, is... uh, is casting up in uh, bleh, resin of all wonderful, things. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> the uh, the the out the outcome of it is is quite nice though. It's um, approximately the same size as the original uh, Chaos Battering Ram, um, and it's just in a you know in in resin and a lot lighter rather than this enormous two pound hunk of lead. <laughs> yes, um, yes, which which I found re- really quite um, quite fun to do. So. Perhaps in in the in the not too distant future, I'd like to yeah sculpt my own range or something. I I, I do like uh, sculpting and, and seeing the you know the the results of my labour. So yeah, absolutely. Fascinating stuff. Well, certainly I'm I'm sure you have so many media that you are currently the king of that you'll be able to promote that and uh, get the information <laughs> out to the community. Let's return to your Patreon. What are the short term aims? What are the mid term aims? What are the long term aims of your Patreon? So the Short, the short-term aim is to um, gather enough money together to hire artists that are eminently qualified to illustrate something as illustrious as a a proxy realm of chaos book. Um, so I've I've got a few irons in the fire with um, respect to the the specific artists that I'm I'm looking to to hire. It's just I, I can't afford to um, to create the book all on my own budget that's the, that's the main re- that's the main reason for for the patron um and 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 really to get like-minded people involved as well um it's quite a good forum for bringing people together as uh, as well so in terms of your video output i know you've been away i know there've been a series of things which have stopped the videos for a period of time are the videos going to be restarting with some degree of volume um maybe not volume um perhaps more regularity mm-hmm. um so i've just um come back from bring out your lead mm-hmm. uh, where i played the uh the gigantic uh game of hell's reach with about 20 other people including john blanche um, which was uh which was rather fun um so i've been in a bit of a necromunda kick uh, most recently interesting uh, so uh i hope to be releasing a few vis- videos uh in that vein over the coming weeks um, really probably only two or three videos in, in that respect. Um, and then I'd, I'd like to sort of get back into, uh, the building armies, um, series that I, um, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm kind of famous for. Um, I think of crikey, I've got about four or five years worth of, um, army builds on, um, on YouTube now. Certainly. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to get back into, into the swing of things and painting copious amounts of models and, uh, Talking about my theories on the, you know, the how, what, why, where, when uh, of, of collecting these things. Certainly, I mean, one of the fascinating things which really brought it home for me, associated with how important things like bring out your lead are, is your 
the fact that you hadn't actually played a game for some ridiculous length of time until the last spring out your lead, can you talk a little <laughs> bit about finding, like, literally, phys- this is the difficulty I find with regards to this hobby, is that I can't physically find people in my area who are as obsessed with this thing as I am. Could you talk a little bit about finding the others? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I I fell out of um, the sort of the playing side of games, uh, of gaming or wargaming uh, quite a long time ago. Mm. Uh, I used to go to a, um, a club with my brother and I always felt it was very sort of cliquey mm-hmm. in that I wasn't part of the clique. So I would arrive with some miniatures and... I wouldn't really feel like I could approach anyone or anybody would want to play with me. Mm. And I felt that was really quite disappointing because as a, a war gamer, you, I mean, it, the, the clues in the title, you want to game. Um, and I sort of fell out of the love of, of actually playing these games um, for a long time. Um, probably, crikey, 15 years. Gosh. Um, okay. And in that time, I, I sort of took the collecting side of the hobby, you know, building, painting, modeling etc uh the, the miniatures and and just building up my armies um as the the main part of the hobby uh, and then of course as you say it wasn't until uh, bring out your lead last year uh, that i actually um played a, a game for however many years it, it, it had been and then in between uh then and and most recently i again i hadn't hadn't played Again, <laughs> yes. um, I, I, I literally just played Hell's Reach 2022 and Hell's Reach 2023. And by by all accounts, I expect it will be the same with next year. I, I mean, I just don't have anybody to play with. Um, there doesn't seem to be a very big community near to where I, I live that are into this kind of thing. That's my hope with Warhammer the Old World. I mean, I like you, I'm amazingly optimistic with regards to this thing. In fact, I almost see it as an apology from Games Workshop for however many years it's been since Square Bases were on the covers of White Dwarf. <laughs> but um, I, I didn't mean to. I mean, yeah, that, that I think is probably the only way that I can look at this thing. But my hope is within, I mean, in the area of Las Vegas that I live, there is just no one. About If I go 17 miles, there's the closest local hobby store uh, where, you know, I probably could find other people. But my hope is that this thing will get a bunch of us out of the, you know, out of hiding in the shadows um, and bring us back to put our models again on the table in hopefully game stores in a variety of different locations. But, you know, this is, I think, a really, you know, this is a hope beyond a hope in terms of the possible practicalities of this thing. Are you viewing Warhammer the Old World as some light? This might be an excuse for you to bring out your models and play with others and... I don't know how dire your circumstances are associated with locals in your community. Is there a local game store within two or three miles of where you live? Um, so the local uh, Warhammer store mm. is um, is probably about five miles away. Um, okay. Although I wouldn't I wouldn't dare take any lead down there. Uh, <laughs> um, game store wise, I'm not I'm not familiar with any. Um, okay. Probably be- probably because I've not sought it out though. Um, if I was to seek it out, I, could, I, I would imagine there will be something uh, available. Um, so you don't think the Warhammer stores will be sympathetic to people bringing out their lead? I I don't know. Well, the thing is, my my collections are so heavily infused with other manufacturers uh, yes. that to field any sizable army or uh, useful uh, warband of anything, I'll, I'll probably have to pinch and, and steal from 
various other collections. So to actually field what I would like to field, uh, I would have to find something other than a games workshop store to play in. Interesting. Uh, um, but um, from the from the from the flip side of the coin, though, as 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 positive as we we would like to be about it, I th- I would hazard a guess that it's uh, a cynical cash grab, and uh, actually it's not so much an apology, but a <laughs> opportunity for them to. <laughs> Um, actually make a little bit more cash because um, over and I noticed this over COVID was that the old hammer community went from something like 1500 to something like 13 or 14,000 members in uh, on the uh, Facebook page and I can only assume that um, Games Workshop in their infinite wisdom um, (laughs) noticed that a lot of old people with a lot of money <laughs> um, uh, 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 are very keen on this stuff called Old Hammer. <laughs> um, so I would hazard a guess as to that being the main reason why we're getting this uh, this elusive uh, old world return. Yes, I hope that just the breadth of miniature knowledge is not represented in the store managers. I'm gonna. I'm, I don't know whether I'll be pushing it myself because certainly. I could feel still relatively well-sized on Citadel alone. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I remain cautiously optimistic. I, I will allow reality to prove itself to me over the next few years as this thing becomes a real thing. Well, we will see, won't we? <laughs> we most definitely will. So, okay, I can't even remember where we were. We were talking briefly about the Patreon. Let's plug your Patreon one last time. Okay, yeah. So uh, my Patreon's Nurgling101. That's N-E-R-G-L-I-N-G, uh, Nurgling. And um, basically, it's a, it's a it's harkening back to the old days of, mm-hmm. of Warhammer, to the realm of chaos, and to try and instigate a bit more inspiration into the hobby, rather than this uh, this uh, this plastic junk that we uh, we get force fed by our our glorious um, uh, our glorious Games Workshop. Um, and it's not just um, Citadel; it's, it's it's a variety of manufacturers: um, Essex, Midlam, Mears, uh, Merlitton, you name it, Grenadier, so, yes. just about all of the all the good old stuff, um, predominantly in metal. Although I, I hazard a guess that there'll probably be a, a couple of plastics um, dotted here and there. Maybe some of those uh, those wretched goblins with the uh, very pointy spears that you got mm. in the. Uh, in the the army box but yeah um it's all about inspiration and uh, and, and love for the old school i didn't realize that there was potential for you to put out miniatures i mean if you can weave those two things together more media more time i think that sounds like a wonderful possibility well, so if i can instigate yeah, that yeah. yeah that'd be great <laughs> well no gang it's been an absolute pleasure to have the chance to chat with you you are one of the people that has continued to inspire me and continue to I, I will one day get out a camera and start actually filming my armies. I'm, uh, I bought the uh, base extensions, so I'm certainly moving in the direction of actually fielding uh, Warhammer Old World old lead armies. Uh, but your stuff continues to be an inspiration. Obviously, I found you through YouTube, and then I thought, there's a like-minded soul out there. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. Pleasure chatting. Talk soon. Take care now. <laughs>